Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. here we're we're talking about something called a new thing the Lord said I'm going to do a new thing in Isaiah chapter 43 we're talking about a new thing and last week we talked about the Lord doing a new thing and the new thing is giving people a new name and the name that he gives us is more powerful than the name that we had and so the beauty of a new name is the fact that we don't have to get good to get God God gives us a name and we live up to that name he called he called Abram Abraham before he ever had a child, and Abraham means a father of multitude. He called Jacob Israel before Jacob really got the bad stuff out of him, but he saw a nation, not just a man. He saw that in him, and, and, and so there's a lot of things in the Word of God. There's a lot of things in the Word of God where God just literally changed the names of people. He, tur- he turned their name into another name, and so a new name means a brand new beginning, and so last week... At the end of the service, we got a new name for this church this year. You remember what I said? We're going to be called the Overcoming Church. Amen. We're going to be called the Overcoming Church. How many of you have had some issues this week and you say, Pastor, I've got over them. Amen. I've overcome them in the name of the Lord. That's what it's all about. It's the Overcoming Church. And so every time, every time you see a situation coming into your life, you say, I can overcome that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to stand to your feet today. You're awesome people. We're going to talk about a new thing, part two today. We're going to talk about another new thing that God is doing in our lives, in our hearts. And next Sunday, we'll conclude this series, and then we'll start something that is so wonderful and beautiful. Now, speaking of the men's Bible study tomorrow night, I want to talk about it just a moment before I I teach this morning, just a moment. Let me tell you about that. We are certainly excited to have entrepreneurs and businessmen with acumen in our church, and it's an incredible thing to pastor people that, that have been very successful in life. And tomorrow night, tomorrow night, we are going to listen to a gentleman that started a company called uh, Bankview, and, uh, and he is going to be talking to us about how to begin a business, how to create a business and how to do it, and how to maintain it, and how to fortify yourself in it. And there's a lot of young men that have come to me and said, Pastor, if we could just have men talk to us, just put impart into our lives things about how to create, how to, how to make businesses. And if you're 66 years old, and you're looking for a new way to fry chicken, like Colonel Sanders was, you can come on to that meeting tomorrow night. We're wait, we want everybody to come. Everybody needs to be there tomorrow night. Don Schaefer. Brother Don, where are you, buddy? Where's Don? Where's Don? There he is. Don's going to be teaching tomorrow night. We're going to be excited. At 6.30, we start the feeding process. You know me. I'm going to feed you tomorrow night. So you're going to get food. So if you want to come and get food and see if you like Don, we'll just come on and get you some food. And then if you don't like Don, uh, we'll just let you walk out, all right? That'd be okay. But I promise you, he'll captivate your heart. And then next week on, t- on Monday night, uh, Larry Nunez, right here. Larry, raise your hand right there, buddy. Larry's going to be speaking. And Larry runs a huge profitable business out in West Texas, uh, and he'll tell you all about it. He has, in fact, several businesses that he runs, and Larry has uh, 
said, Pastor, I would love to impart to people in the church. And so Larry's going to be speaking on that next Monday night. And then we're going to go on to the next Monday night, which is the 27th. And Don has said he would come back. Now, Pastor will be starting it. I'll be finishing it. And we're going to be talking about a plethora of things tomorrow night. But you're going to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's going to be wonderful. These men are, are talented men. We don't have to reach outside the body that we have. We can talk about it right here in the body of Christ. Amen? That's a wonderful thing. Isn't that awesome? So I want you here tomorrow night. I want you here tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, 6.30 for food. And we're going to start sharp 7 o'clock and we'll be out before 8 o'clock tomorrow night. All right? God bless you. Now, uh, where's Carla? Where's Carla Saunders? Where's Carla at? Where's Carla? Where's Carla? There she is. Carla, I don't do this to everybody, but Carla has been a precious, precious lady in this church and has worked so wonderfully in our ladies' ministry. And uh, she, has, she has come here with one of the greatest attitudes, leaving with a better attitude than she came in with. She came in with a great attitude. But what a great lady. Her parents are very sick down in uh, the, uh, just south of Corpus Christi, and she's going to have to go and be with them and help them in their latter part of their life. And she's having to leave our church and move down there. And so we want to give her a great hand clap of love right now and tell her how happy we are to have her a part of our church. Amen. It's, a, it's been an honor having you, kid. And I hope you stay for second service so I can, I, can, I can say bye to you one more time. I don't like goodbyes. I don't like them at all. I want to talk to you today from the subject, A New Thing, Part 2, and I'm going to read a fairly lengthy text here today, but this is what I consider, it's what I consider one of the most powerful chapters in all the New Testament, most powerful chapters in all the New Testament, Revelation chapter number 5, Revelation chapter number 5, it's a scene around the throne of heaven, and we're going to read it here in the NIV, then John said, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John said, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased or redeemed for God's persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them all, and, and, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It's one of the most powerful, powerful verses of Scripture that you'll ever read in your life. It is heaven happening in Revelation chapter 5. John is there. So I'm going to preach today a new thing, part two. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. Now look up here, say, Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let it touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let it touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let me leave this church better than I was when I came in. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. So the story that is read to you today is really self-explanatory. There was nobody worthy to open the scroll. Nobody had the worth to open the scroll that had seven seals on it. Until John said that an elder told him, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John said, When I looked, I saw a lamb. Isn't it amazing that the lamb and the lion are the same? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he also is the lamb of God. And the lamb of God came and took the scroll out of the one that sat on the throne's hand, and he opened that scroll, and the four and twenty elders fell down and began singing a brand new song. There is a, there's, a, there's a passage of a song that I want to just kind of speak to you today. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seems hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when the scenes of, in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, I'll sing the old, old story that I've loved for so long. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. There is nothing that I could say today any greater and what I'm about to tell you right now in just a short, very short phrase of words. And that is this. On this second Sunday of January 2014, there is a Savior that loves all of you. There is a Savior that loved you so much that while you were yet sinners, he died for you on a cross. There is a Savior that loved you so much that allowed himself to be pierced with nails beaten with a cat of nine tails 39 times for our healing. There is a Savior that loves you so much that he died on a cross between two common thieves. But it wasn't because he was trying to be your hero. It was because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And there is a story, there's a beautiful story that I read not long ago that I want to share with you today. And, and the story is simply this. There was a man in a city 
in a far country looking for some unusual sights and cities that he visited. And during one of the tours of one of the cities, he was attracted to a beautiful building that had a stone figure of a lamb on the wall way up high, way up high, probably 10 stories high. And the curious man asked one of the citizens of the city why the figure of the stone lamb on the wall of the building. And he was told that it marked a place from which the workman had lost his balance while working on the building, and he fell to the earth below. So the man naturally asked, was the man killed in his fall? And the citizen said, no, it was a miracle. When his fellow workers went to him, expecting to find his body crushed on the pavement, he was shaken and badly bruised, but there was not one broken bone in his body. It seemed that just at the time the man fell, several lambs were on their way to the slaughter. And as the mason fell, he landed on the back of one of those lambs. And the lamb broke his fall. And the mason's fall was saved. His life was spared, but the lamb was killed. And so the builder of the building was so impressed that he had a stone lamb placed 10 stories high as a lasting memorial to the death of a lamb. I will declare with you, to you right now, that many of us fallen people fell slap right on top of the lamb of God. When we could not find him, he found a way into our lives. And in our fall, we found him, and he rescued us, and he turned our life around. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, what a joyous day when Jesus came into my life. Anybody remember that day? Anybody remember the day that he came? Anybody remember the day that Jesus turned your life around? You were in a free fall, and there was nothing that could save you, and you fell right on top of the Lamb of God. And that's why we elevate him today. That's why we put him up in our lives. That's why we praise him. That's why when he came and opened the scroll in Revelation 5, John said the four and 20 elders started singing a brand new song, Thou Art Worthy, Thou Art Worthy. See, it starts like this. It starts like this. In the beginning, God created man and woman. They placed them in a garden and innocence ruled the day. But there were two trees in the garden. One was a tree of life, which brought life. The other was a tree of knowledge and good and evil. And God communed with man every day in the cool of the day. In the morning, every morning God was there. But there was a serpent that comes into the story. He was a subtle serpent because God had told them, Adam, you can, have, you can partake of any tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not take of that tree because the day you partake of that tree, you will die. And so the serpent starts tempting the woman to partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And he misquotes the word of God. He said, you shall not surely die. He deceives the woman. She partakes of the fruit. And then she takes it to Adam. He forgets the word of the Lord and he partakes. Then their eyes are open and all of a sudden they see their nakedness. And they are cast out of the garden. But what many people do not know is that God slayed a lamb right then. The first lamb that was ever slain was for two people that had fallen into mischief in a perfect place. And that lamb was slain to cover the nakedness and to cover their sin with the blood of that lamb. It was both a cure and it was a cover. 
And man, and Adam and Eve had a massive fall and God cursed the serpent and said you'd crawl on the ground for the rest of your days and you would eat the dust of the ground. And yet he allowed man to continue to live because one thing kept them alive, the Lamb of God. In that day, on that day, it was a lamb for a man. In the book of Exodus chapter 12, when Israel started to come out of, 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 of Egypt, it was a lamb for a family. He said, bring the lamb into your home. And the lamb was brought into the home. In the wilderness, when Israel had escaped through the Red Sea and got to the middle of the wilderness and could not find a place, God established a church. And he said, I want the high priest to come once a year. I don't want him to slay a lamb. I want him to kill a lamb for the whole nation of Israel. But at the cross of Jesus Christ, Christ, hallelujah, it wasn't a lamb for a man, it wasn't a lamb for a family, it wasn't a lamb for a nation, it was the lamb for all the world. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, became the Lamb for all the world. That's the story today. And that's why from Genesis chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 5, the only way we're going to get to heaven is to follow the Lamb. We must be followers of the Lamb of God. Anybody here excited because Jesus is in your life? Anybody here excited because the Lord has touched your life by the power of His blood? Oh, happy day. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Woo. Wow. Sometimes when I'm writing things like this, my mind gets overwhelmed and my heart gets so full because we who are here today were once so lost. We were once so lost, and now we are found. And the only thing that turned our life around was the blood of the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. The Bible said in Hebrews 9, 22, there is no redemption outside the shedding of blood. We must have the shedding of blood. And I know that the world hates a bloody gospel. I know they're trying to take blood out of singing. They're trying to take blood out of the word. They're trying to take blood out of everything. But you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold after a manner of your vain conversation. But you were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And you are here today because Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Somebody magnify him right now. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome. I love the Psalms. I love them. I love David. David was a real man. David had problems. David was a forgotten entity when the sons of Jesse were lined up for Samuel's anointing. He was left in the sheepfold. He wasn't even counted as one of the sons. And Samuel went by the sons twice, and then he said, is there anybody else in this house that you have? He said, oh, I've got a kid. I've got a boy out here in the sheepfold. He said, would you bring him here? I'm trying to anoint a king, and none of these boys fit what God is saying they need to fit. And they went and got David, and David was brought in. And David, who was probably an illegitimate child, was brought in. He had a ruddy face. He didn't look like the rest of the boys. And he was brought in and Samuel said, that's him. And he anointed him. 
He put six quarts of oil on his head, and David was anointed king. We know he was anointed two other times when he was anointed king of Judah than he was anointed king of Israel. But there's something about that first anointing. There's something about that first anointing. And David, who was a psalmist, and David, who played his harp, and he talked to the Lord in his, in, in, in his place of, of residency because it was in the pasture. And David would play that harp, and many times, probably in the middle of the night, David would play to calm the sheep down and he would say that God gave me night sayings on a harp and and I got words from the Lord in the middle of the night and I got a confirmation from God in the middle of the night. But David was writing one time in Psalms chapter 40 and in, in in that Psalms chapter 40 he said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. And then David gives us three things. He gives us three things that that happens after he reads that. He says there's three things after that. He said, number one, he lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and out of the mire. He lifted me out of the miry pit, out of the mud and out of the mire. I know we're all dressed up today. (laughs) I know we're all dressed up today and people like my boots and everything, you know, and I'm a boot man now. Because the board bought me some boots, and so I'm going to wear boots, and I'll probably be buried in my boots. I, I never have been a boot man, but all of a sudden, I'm boot scooting boogie around here. I'm just having the time of my life. I feel such a foundation preaching the gospel now, and these things support my ankles, and they hold up my calves, and I'm just strong in the Lord in my feet. But we're all, we all look so good around here, you know. We look so good. I'm fixing to preach a little bit. We look so good. We look good. We, we, you know, you folks clean up good. You're a good-looking group of people. But there was a day. There was a day when we were in a slimy pit. There was a day when we was in the mud and in the mire. There was a day when we couldn't, we couldn't hardly clean ourselves up because we can't clean ourselves up. You can't get yourself clean enough. You can't wash yourself enough. You can't scrub yourself enough. The only thing that can make you clean is the blood of the lamb. The only thing that can make you clean is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can wash you white as snow is the blood of the lamb. Say amen to that. And the Bible said he brought me out of a slimy pit. Now, I don't know what David was talking about. I don't know if he's talking about the moral failure that he had. I don't know if he's talking about too much bloodshed and he could not build the house of God. I don't know if he's talking about the fact that he was overlooked and I was out there in the pit trying to help these sheep, getting them out of the pits. And he brought me out of that pit that I was in trying to get sheep out of. And I don't know what he was talking about. But every one of us understand what the slimy pit is. Every one of us understand what the mud and the mire is. Jeremiah was lifted out. Even a prophet was lifted out of the mire. Joseph was put into a pit and sold into, a, into slavery. There's a lot of men in the Bible that's gone into pits. They really have. But here's what I'm telling you. The pit that David was talking about was the pit of not knowing God. But one day that God came to my pit and looked down and said, you're not going to live there anymore. I'm going to pull you out of that pit. And he pulled me out of the mire and he pulled me out of the mud. And he did not put me back in it. He stood me up and he cleaned me off. And he, has, and he put something in my heart and he put something in my spirit that said, you're not going back to the man that I've drug you out of. You're not going back to that. And on this second Sunday of the new year, I think we ought to celebrate the fact that we're not going back to what he drug us out of. We're not going back to what he brought us out of. We're going forward. We're moving on. Oh, hallelujah. 
He brought me out of a slimy pit. I know it's been several years ago, but many of you remember the Exxon Valdez oil spill along the Alaskan coastline. And you know what one of the major things was in that Alaskan spill? You know what, you know what people really wanted? They, wanted? they wanted the president of Exxon Valdez. They wanted the president, the man who was in charge, just to come and see the damage just to come and see all the oil along the Alaskan coastline. They wanted that man just to come and see it. And the president decided it wouldn't be the best thing for him to do. He said it just wouldn't be best for me to come. Why? Why don't you want to come? You're the leader. Why don't you want to come? You're the man. Why don't you want to come? You're the man in charge. Why don't you come and and take care of this? They wanted him to go out and see those little oil-drenched ducks and little oil-drenched birds. And they wanted him to clean some of those birds off and clean some of that oil off of them. But he decided it wasn't wasn't fitting to do that. One one Chinese uh, man that was converted to Christianity had been a Confucius scholar. He said... He said, he said a man fell into a dark, dirty, slimy pit and he tried to climb out of the pit, but he couldn't. And Confucius came along and he saw the man in the pit and said, poor fellow, if he'd listened to me, he'd never have gotten in there. Buddha came along and said, when I saw the man in the pit, he said, poor fellow, he'll come up, come up one day and I'll help him. A Christian scientist came along and said, you're really not in the pit. But then Jesus... Jesus came along and said, poor fella, and he jumped in the pit, and he pulled me out of the pit, and he washed me off, and I'm never going back to the pit. Amen? That's what, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what religion you are before. When you find Jesus, you find the greatest friend you've ever had in your life, and he will turn your life around and pull you out of sin and clean your life up and turn you to a brand new man. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody in this house, anybody in this house ever been in a slimy pit, a sin you couldn't shake, a shackle that couldn't be broken, a pain that persisted, an unmended brokenness, an unending question, where are you now, God? Do you know where I am, God? Can you come see about me, God? I've carried this hurt for a long, long time. I'm tired of looking up and seeing no hope. And then, like a wind from elsewhere, God steps in, lifts you out, out of that slimy pit, but he doesn't leave you on the edge of that pit to fall back again. The Bible said, second thing he did, he set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. Say it with me. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. I love to tell the story. Hallelujah. Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. When I mention rock, A lot of young people in the house are thinking music. A newly engaged member might think a diamond on her finger. As someone has said, diamonds are a girl's best friend and dogs are a man's best friend. Now you know which sex is smarter. Some might think of insurance when we think of a rock. Few of us might even think of a certain pickup whose lyrics of a commercial are being like a rock. 
But the more religious of us think of Simon Peter who was dubbed the rock by Jesus. But a few of the older members might think rock of ages. Cleft for me. I'd like to think that the older members are more in tune with anybody in the house. Because you've been through a lot of situations in your life. Some of you older members, do you remember back in 50 when you went through that crisis and they thought you wasn't going to live? But God had done something with you when he brought you up out of the slimy pit. He put you on a rock. And he established you a place to stand. You remember when that baby was born? And you thought the baby was going to die, but God healed that baby. And that baby's alive now. And that baby is a, is a full-grown member of society. And now you're a grandparent, maybe even a great-grandparent. You remember that day? That was one of those times when God put your feet on a rock. Some of you understand the storm, but you also understand during a storm, God can take you from any place and place you right on the rock and say you're not going under, you're going over in the name of the Lord. And God placed you there and put you there and absolutely established what you are. I remember times in my life. I just remember times in my short 60 years plus. I remember, I remember a few days in my life where I felt like it's over. I'm washed over. And I felt the hand of God say, not yet, son, not yet. I'm going to place you on this rock, and I'm going to be right here beside you. I'm going to be right here beside you, and you're going to be all right. You're going to get through this storm, and I got through the storm. Here's what I'm telling you. It does not matter what the storm is. It does not matter what the wind says. It does not matter what the waves say. What matters is the man on your boat. What matters is the one going with you to the other side. He said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. And it doesn't matter how slippery or how unsafe your footing is. When Jesus comes and draws you up out of the pit, he's going to place you on a rock. He's going to establish you and cause you to stand. That's what he does. I met a dear friend. He's my dear friend now, but I met him several years ago in a St. Louis airport. We visited for over an hour. His name was Dennis Waitley, and Dennis Waitley wrote several books. In fact, he wrote a book called The Winning Edge that I still read from time to time. He's a master, master motivator. And Waitley and I met, just happened to run into each other. I literally, literally bumped into Dennis Waitley in an airport in St. Louis. And we, he saw that I was a hungry young man, and he saw that I wanted knowledge, and he said, I got some time for you, son. Come on, let's go sit down and talk. And I sat down with the master guru of thinkology. And he, he wrote a book. He, he wrote a book uh, after or before the winning edge. It was called Timing is Everything. And in that book, he talked about a, a, the Malibu Rock, the million-dollar Malibu Rock out in Malibu, California. It happened one February. Rains had been pounding Southern California for about two weeks. You're going to love this story. And rocks were falling from the slopes. And homeowners along the Pacific coastline, Malibu, looked up and began noticing a rock that was directly located right above them. And this rock was supposedly weighing about 116 tons. It was perched a little more than 180 feet above many of the houses along the Pacific Coast Highway. And they perceived the problem as a major problem. And they envisioned it sliding down on their homes, causing great property damage and injury or death. And one homeowner sent a telegram to the California Department of Transportation and told them they would be directly responsible if that rock failed and caused damage or injury or death. That, of course, put the department into action. And the state ordered the owners of the property 
uh, that, that the rock was balanced on to remove it immediately. It belonged to the Iranian import company which owned the land. They declined to take action, so the state hired a construction company to remove the rock. Bids were put out, and the lowest bid to remove a rock was $92,000. That's the lowest bid. The job was supposed to take about a few hours at the most. The net was going to be raised by a helicopter fastened to the rock by a crew and the bulldozers. And then the helicopter would gently lower the rock onto the highway where the cushion of mud had been spread to break the fall and prevent it rolling to the houses. It all sounded simple. Shortly after dawn, three Caterpillar D9 tractors started up the hill. It was past noon before they were in place. Then the workers had trouble putting a 30 by 30, 2,500 pound net together. A twin turbo helicopter uh, picked up the net and draped it over the rock and the tractors pulling in tandem attempted to budge the rock from its perch but it would not move. Three caterpillars couldn't move the rock. Crowds of people and reporters arrived to watch as the day turned to night. One news photographer got stuck on the ledge near the rock and had to be rescued by helicopter. This was all on TV. The crowd cheered. The rock didn't move. The next day the rock was bombarded with 32,000 gallons of water from a 400 foot fire hose. The rock still didn't move. Someone said in exasperation, the crazy thing must be welded to a steel beam down the middle of it. Superman arrived to the party to, to, to promote one of his films. The crowd was enjoying the rock moving party atmosphere, and the rock became the most watched rock in all of Los Angeles Basin. And just before sundown, three days later, they finally, with a Herculean effort, got the rock off. It rolled down the hill, hit the mud, and was, and was, and was dissected, put up, uh, broken up, and took away. Here's the point. Here's the point. That's just a rock that man tried to tear down. That's a rock that the Lord established when he created the earth several thousand years ago. And it took them three days, and it took them all the ingenuity they could to even move it from one place to another. And when they moved it from one place to another, it still didn't break up. It was still the same rock that it was standing up there. Here's the point I'm going to tell you. If the rock, if, an, if a geology rock can take that kind of beating and still stay together and maybe roll a little down the hill and still be the same rock, can you imagine what kind of rock Jesus Christ is? Can you imagine what kind of rock the Lord Jesus Christ is? Can you imagine that we've got a rock to stand on? Hey, I'm not worried about the storms, folks. I'm really not. I'm not worried about the storm. I am just telling you, I have cast my fate with Jesus Christ. He is my rock. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. There's nobody like him. And I'm going to worship him all the days of my life because he brought me out and he established me on the rock of Christ. I am his. And then I close. The third thing David said, David said he brought me out of a slimy pit. He put my feet on a rock and established me. He caused me to stand. But the third thing he did, and this is the new thing I'm talking about, he put a new song in my mouth. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. I love to tell the story. Will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story. Of Jesus and 
is love. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but every time I sing that song, it's getting stronger. That's on purpose. Because when we was in a slimy pit, we didn't, how to, didn't know how to sing that song. When we learn how to stand on the rock that he's established, we're, we're getting our feet wet and we're understanding the storms of life. We learn how to build on the rock and not on the sand. And God Almighty's with us and we're getting a little stronger. But when you stand where I'm standing today and you understand that he brought me out, he had placed my feet, and here I am today preaching the gospel. I can sing with everything that's in me. I love to tell the story. Anybody sing with me? Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Woo. Hallelujah. Everybody say, put a new song in my mouth. Let me tell you something. God's responsible for all three actions. He lifted you up. He put you on the rock. He put a song in your mouth. So if you're going to praise him for the slimy pit, if you're going to praise him for the rock, you better open your mouth and be singing in this hour. It's time for the church to open up their mouth and sing. You know why God, you know why God established a song? I'm going to tell you why God established a song. Because he knows there's a lot of people who won't ever study this. So you don't know how to fight the devil with the word. But you've got something besides the word to fight the enemy with. He put a song in your heart. You know why a song works? Because the enemy, Lucifer, was the song master of heaven. And when he was kicked out, he thought all singing was going to be gone. And so he brings rock music today. He brings all kinds of dysfunctional music to the world. But when somebody is singing about Jesus, when somebody's singing about the Lamb, when somebody's singing about the great I Am, there's something he can't handle. A song is deliverance. A song brings victory. A song brings triumph. There's something about singing in this hour that works. <laughs> it's like one man that his wife always wanted a piano. And so he finally bought her a piano. And the daughter was so happy, the mother was learning how to play the piano at an older age. She came back to the house to visit not long after that and found the piano gone. And she said, Dad, where's the piano? He said, oh, we sold it. She said, why? He said, well, I bought your mom a clarinet. She said, why? He said, because she can't play the clarinet and sing at the same time. Everybody say, God. Put a song in my mouth. Put a hymn of praise in my mouth. That means I need to sing. Well, I don't feel like singing. That's not an option. Well, I can't sing. That's not an option. I'd love to sing, but I can't carry a tune. That's not an option. 
Pastor, you don't want to hear me sing. That's not an option. It's raining in my life. Really? That's not an option. The wind's blowing in my life. Really? It's not an option. I'm in a hailstorm. Really? That's not an option. The Bible said he put a song. Oh, hallelujah. He put a song in your mouth. And he wants you to sing unto the Lord a new song. Psalms 137 talked about a bondaged people that are away from Israel and they hung their harps on willows because they couldn't sing a song in a strange land. Folks, I'm telling you, this world is not our home. This is our Babylon. I hate to tell you that, but we're living in the middle of sin right here. But we are redeemed by the grace of God and by the blood of the Lamb. And somebody ought to sing. This ought to be the singingest church in all of Austin. We ought to open up our mouth every Sunday morning and sing. I don't care if you can't carry a tune. You sound like a barking dog. It doesn't matter. Open up your mouth. Now, that don't mean you get in the choir, but open up your mouth and sing. Open up your mouth and sing because God has given you a song. You know why? Because he brought you out of a pit. He put you on a rock and he gave you a song. Isaiah 35 says it this way. When Messiah comes, there will be singing. That's the new thing. Is a new song. Not only does he give you a new name, he gives you a new song. I don't, any, I don't want anybody standing by anybody anymore this year and saying, wow, I stood by a person that couldn't sing a lick, Pastor. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. You're not singing to try to get in the opera. You heard what one old boy said about opera, didn't you? He said, opera is singers that ought to be talking, and rappers are, ra- are talkers that ought to be singing. I love that. That just hit me funny. But it's not they're trying to get in the opera, trying to make the choir, trying to make the praise team. It's the fact that God said, I put a new song in their mouth. I put a new song in their mouth, and I want them to sing. I want them to sing a new song. You know, Hannah, when she had Samuel, sung a song. But Mary, when she got expectant of Jesus, sang a song. There's some people can't sing till they have the child. There's some people can't sing until the battle's over. Like Moses sang when the Red Sea closed on the Egyptians. The Bible said he sung the horse and the rider. He's thrown into the sea and they sung with the tambourine. But some people can sing when they get pregnant with a hope. Some people can sing when the battle's still raging. Some people can sing when everything's not going good in their life. Some people can still sing when things are running downhill. Some people can still sing. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory. The Bible said the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice when Messiah comes, even with joy and singing. When Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. When Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, there's no ravenous beast that's going to go up on it.
but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Three times in in, in, in Isaiah chapter 35, it says that people are going to sing. That's a new thing. I close today with one of the most prolific stories I've ever told in this pulpit. I want you to listen to me real good. A pastor friend of mine got on an airplane several years ago I've never told this story in 24 years of pastoring here. Got on an airplane with a man, sat down beside him. And you know how it is when you get 30,000 feet, you go to talking about anything, everything. Mostly, what do you do and what do you do and how's your, mar- how's your family, how's your kids and all that. And so this man asked the pertinent question, what do you do, sir, for a living? He said, well, I'm a spirit-filled preacher. I pastor a spirit-filled church. And the man looked at him. He said, is that the same as the Holy Ghost? You believe in the Holy Ghost? Yes, sir, I believe in the Holy Ghost, son. And the man looked away out the window, and he had a faraway look in his eye. And the pastor thought he'd hurt his feelings by telling him he was a spirit-filled pastor. And so he got the man's attention. He said, sir, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings telling you what I did. He said, oh, no, sir, no, sir, no, sir. He didn't hurt my feelings. He said, it's just been a long time, sir. It's been a long time. He said, you don't tell me about it? He said, well, I was a prisoner in Vietnam. And he said, we were moved from prison to prison during the night in these things called tiger cages. They were made out of bamboo shoots. And he said, they were about four feet by five feet. He said, you couldn't stretch out in them. You always kind of stayed in a semi-fetal position. He said, it was the most uncomfortable thing. He said, I was, I was a prisoner for over two years. And I finally got, got free. I'm glad to be alive. But he said, sir. There was a guy that was a prisoner with me. And said he was about four, four cages down. They always put us in numbers and said he was about four cages down. And said, we didn't know each other's name because to know each other's name meant that we knew something on that person. And they would beat it out of us and said they beat us unmercifully and they tried to get information out of us every day and said every night just about we'd go to bed hurting we'd go to sleep hurting so bad but he said when the guards would would leave he said the man about four cages down would always sing at night and he always sung the same song he said what did he sing he said he sung Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing and said nobody ever tried to hush him said we waited for we just called him victory that was his name to us we just called him victory and we asked him one day victory how can you sing he said because the Lord has saved me boys he's filled me with the spirit of God I've been born of the Holy Ghost and fire 
And he said, we're going to get out of here, boys. We're going to get out of here. And every night when the guards would leave again, he would say, victory in Jesus. And he said, pastor, when the man turned to him, he said, pastor, tears were welling up in his eyes. He said, pastor, victory had a God. And the pastor said, really? He said, yeah. He said, what gave you that information? He said, because victory always had a song. (laughs) There's something about a song. There's something about a song. When hell can't take your song, when hell can't take the music out of your heart, when hell can't stifle that song in your spirit, there's got to be a God involved. There's got to be a God involved because God knows how to put a song in your heart. He knows how to put a hymn in your mouth. Amen. He knows how to bring a new song to you. And I'm here to declare to you right now. I'm here to tell you right now that the God that brought you out of the pit, that established your going, also put a song in your heart and in your mouth. And he wants you to sing. He wants you to sing victory. He's got a God. Because victory's always got a song. And so I stand here today as your pastor. And I'd like to tell you that Jesus is everything you need. He's all you need. I'm asking our prayer counselors to come right now. Please hurry. Come quick. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment. And you that walk this aisle today and come for prayer, I want you to come because you understand that God knows how to pick you up. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.